Amen. Good stuff. Genesis chapter 5 tonight. This chapter divides into three parts. The first 20 verses, the purpose God created for mankind. Then when we get to verse 21 through verse 27, the opportunity God offers to mankind. And then in verses 28 through 32, the hope that God extends through mankind. When I first started studying and reading this chapter, I thought, what am I going to share? This is a chapter about the generations of Adam, basically telling us how you get from Adam to Noah and who begat, who begat, who begat, right? And yet, I hope this will encourage you. The more I stuck with it, and sometimes that's what we have to do, Sometimes we just have to hang in there and just keep meditating on it, keep reading it, keep studying it, and God then begins to bring little things out. Sometimes the treasure's not lying right on the surface. We've got to dig a little bit. So first of all, I'd like you to see a couple of things throughout the chapter. This chapter is a narrative up until the point of the first dialogue, which very interestingly announces the one who's going to come and bring rest, the birth of Noah. This chapter includes the record of a man named Methuselah, the one who, according to the Bible, lived longer than any other human being has ever lived. This chapter records eight times somebody dies, reminding us of the consequences of sin. But in the first couple of verses, I want us to see that God reminds us again of the purpose that he created for mankind. It says when God created humankind, he made them in the likeness of God. He created them male and female. When they were created, he blessed them and named them humankind. I want to go back to something we talked about at the very first chapter. The word created not only means that God chose to create, because he didn't have to create us or anything in the universe. He could have perfectly existed as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit throughout all of eternity, as he always did. We don't know, you know how long that was, he's eternal. He had no beginning. So he chose to create, knowing that he would be eternally invested in his creation after that. But this word also means to shape or to form with a purpose in mind, including every one of us. Don't ever forget that when God shaped you and fashioned you and made you exactly the way he did, that he did it for a purpose in mind. He had a plan. He had a design in mind as he began to mold us in our mother's wombs. Now, you and I, as we go through our 
life with God can discover specifically what those purposes and plans are in each season. But generally speaking, I want to share the purposes that we see right here in these first two verses that sort of apply to all of us as followers of God or the people of God generally. You'll notice at the end of verse 1, he made them in the likeness of God. One of the reasons we were created is, first of all, is to resemble God. Not to be God, but to resemble God. To express some of the characteristics and character of God throughout our life. I always go back to the fruit of the Spirit is a great list, if you're looking for a list, of ways that we can resemble God. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience, gentleness, meekness, kindness, all are part of who God is. And God says through the indwelling Holy Spirit, we can express that throughout our lives as we live our lives to others, resembling God. Throughout the Bible, there were times when Jesus was on earth where it would say that people spent time with him and people could tell that these people had spent time with them because he began to imprint them. He, he began to impress upon them his own way and they began to follow him and began to be like him, which is why later on then in the first century, people started calling those followers of Jesus Christians because they reminded through their actions and through their attitude and through the way they dealt with life and people and all of that, they reminded people of Jesus. So they were called Christians, not by Christians, but by non-Christians because they resembled Christ. You and I always need to be reminded that God created us to resemble him. And hopefully as we're living our lives in him, we are growing and resembling him more and more each and every day, week, month, and year that passes. We're becoming more like Jesus. It is one of the purposes for our salvation, Romans 8, 29. He predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. So one of the purposes God created for us is to resemble him. Another one in that word likeness is to represent him. To also be conscious of the fact that everywhere we go and everyone that we meet and everyone that we come in contact with, we are a representative of God to everyone else. It sort of goes along with what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.20. We are his ambassadors. An ambassador is somebody who represents someone else to someone else. We are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Are we growing in representing him well? Are we, are we growing in a way that represents him that will attract others to him instead of repel them are we like salt as jesus said that is creating a thirst for for god by the way that we live and the way that we move throughout our life this is again one of the purposes god has for us his people 
not only to resemble him, but to represent him and to represent him accurately and well. We all know that he's been misrepresented down through history by even those who claim to know him. But God designed us to represent him well. So that's the first purpose God created. The second in verse 2, he created them male and female. He not only created us to resemble him and to represent him, he created us for relationships. Not only with him, which that's the most important. He was walking with Adam and Eve in the garden. He is a God who wants to have communion and intimate fellowship and a relationship with people. That's why he created us. But he also created us to have a relationship with each other, to be part of a family. So go back to the very first words of chapter 5. This is the record of the family line of Adam. God created us to be in families so that we could be in relationship, close relationships with one another, and then with him, obviously, as the priority. And then God carried that idea or purpose over spiritually when he teaches us that as New Testament Christians, we are all part of the body of Christ. And now we are all part of a spiritual family, which is why we are called brothers and sisters in Christ. We now are connected through the blood of Jesus Christ, and we are now part of an even bigger family than just our physical family, because God created us to be part of a family, always. We are his children. We are called the children of God, and we address God as our father, family. Family. How is our relationships? And coming off the series on discipleship, are we forging and and, and working on relationships, especially with a few other Christians that we can mutually encourage and strengthen one another. Relationships. And then we're also created with responsibility. When they were created, verse 2, he blessed them and named them humankind. And most of the time when you see that God is blessing someone, that carries automatically privilege, but also responsibility. Privilege and responsibility. Because when God blesses us, he is entrusting us with things of great value and worth. Therefore, that's responsibility. God is holding us responsible. And you even see this if you go back to chapter 1. Look at verse 28 very quickly. I'll show you here where the word blessing or the concept of being blessed by God is connected to a responsibility then that God had for Adam and Eve. God blessed them, verse 28 of chapter 1, and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. That's responsibility. Fill the earth, and then notice this next word, subdue it, conquer it, overcome it. Don't let this world 
get the better of you, you always rise above it. And then the next word, rule, or literally reign over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every creature that moves on the ground. God says, my plan was always that when I created you, I created you not only to resemble me and to represent me and to live in relationship with one another, but also with responsibility. I always had in mind that you would be kings and queens of mine, in a sense, that you would have the capacity and the ability to be able to rule and reign over this world that I created for you. Now, we know because of the entrance of sin, man has become incapable of doing that well. But through Jesus Christ and our redemption, God will restore that one day. And when he creates the new heaven and the new earth, and even in his earthly millennial kingdom that you and I will be a part of for a thousand years, God is going to bring us back around and give us another opportunity to do it well the next time. And we will the next time because there will be no more sin that will diminish our ability to be able to rule and reign. God always saw great potential in us and still does. God sees us as being able to steward and to manage and all of these things. That's why a lot of the parables Jesus talks about is all about the king or the leader and trusting to other people these great treasures and then what do we do with them while he's gone because when he comes back we're going to have to give an account of how we have managed and stewarded these things that he's entrusted to us that is of great worth and value responsibility so back to genesis 5 these are the purposes God always had for mankind. Then beginning in verse 3, you start out with Adam and Adam's sons and all of that. I just want to point out the entire lifetime of Adam, 930 years, people lived a long time before the flood. Lifespans greatly de decreased after the flood, but before the flood, People lived a long time, but even then, notice the last four words of verse 5. Then he died. He still died. Because God says, you eat from that tree, you will surely die. And as soon as Adam and Eve ate that fruit that God prohibited them from eating, the process of death began in them. Notice in verse 8. The lifetime of Seth was 912 years, and then he died. Verse 11, the entire lifetime of Enosh was 905, and then he died. Verse 14, the entire lifetime of Kenan was 910, and then he died. On and on, end of verse 17, and he died. The end of verse 20, and he died. The end of verse 27, and he died. And finally, verse 31, and then he died. Death. Why do we die? Consequence of sin. There's no other explanation for why does mankind die? Because mankind was disobedient to God, and that is the consequence of that disobedience. But in that, even in that, again, God 
redeemed and God restored and God renews and God still gives us great purpose for our lives because we understand that we're not just here on this earth for a few short years, unlike they were before the flood, but we have all of eternity to sort of flesh out God's purposes in our life. But I want to get to the last two tonight. And that is next, the opportunity God offers to mankind. And what is that opportunity? To walk with God. When Enoch, verse 21, had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. By the way, it's significant again that the man who walked with God was the father of the man who lived the longest recorded lifespan. I don't think that's an accident. Verse 22, he became the father of Methuselah, and Enoch walked with God for 300 years. And he had other sons and daughters. The entire lifetime of Enoch was 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and then he disappeared because God took him away. I want to stay here for a few minutes tonight because God still gives us that opportunity today to walk with him. It is interesting, though, that in all the Bible, there are less than five people who are mentioned that walked with God. We're going to see one this week, Enoch, and one next week, Noah. They're just two of just a couple that are said to have walked with God. What an opportunity, though. What's it mean to walk with God? First of all, I want to say, the Hebrew verb talks about a consistency, a continual walk. It's not every once in a while. There's a constancy there, a consistency. That's something all of us need to improve is our consistency in our walk with God. But the word walk means a consistent connection and conversation that leads to a familiarity and closeness. That's what it means to walk with God. Just as you and I would walk with somebody today, connecting with them, being intimate, conversing with them, that as you and I spend time with someone, connecting with them consistently and conversing with them, we become more and more familiar with one another and we develop a closeness. God says, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. God says that closeness is still available. It is still an opportunity out there for anybody that wants it. There is nobody that would love to get closer to God, that God says, no, I don't want to. No. It, it's never that God doesn't want to get closer to us. That's never the issue. The issue usually is we've got other priorities or other things that get in the way of walking with God. And here's the thing. You can master walking with God and still be able to carry out your other responsibilities in life. I've done it before. I haven't always been in the ministry. As many of you know, I've worked at Starbucks. And if you know anything about Starbucks, you know that especially in the morning hours, they get quite busy. 
Can I tell you, I was walking a lot with God during those hours. Because it's the idea that you just stay connected. I think that's what Paul meant in the New Testament in 1 Thessalonians. He said, pray without ceasing. It's not that I have to close my eyes and bow my head and, and just, you know. No, it's just you and I can stay connected to God and can be conversing with God throughout our day, even while we're carrying out other responsibilities. That's walking with God. And as we do that more and more consistently, we develop a familiarity with God and a closeness with God. And God invites us to have that kind of closeness with him. Again, it's, it's all about relationships. I think one of the challenges is even today, we have a hard time doing that with people that we see, much less a God that is not visible necessarily. Yet in another way, God is always accessible and available to us, unlike other people are. So you do have that going for you with God. But you and I all know, we've talked about this before, where it's really hard for people to connect with one another. It, relationships are a struggle for many people. Developing deep Abiding friendships and relationships, that consistent connection and closeness that comes. But that was Enoch, and Enoch walked with God. Let's not forget that. The God of the universe, the, the God who's eternal, the God who's the great I am, the, the God who is beyond our comprehension, desires to walk with us every day to be close to us, if you will. And then I love this. It says in verse 24, Enoch walked with God, and then he disappeared. Literally, he was no longer here. Because God took him away. Literally, God drew him to himself. God said, come on, Enoch, you come up here. I'm tired of us doing this thing long distance. Come on, you're coming up with me. Literally, that's what it means. And can you imagine all the people that knew him? Where did Enoch go? See, Enoch, in a sense, is a type of rapture, being caught up. Obviously, he wasn't the only one. The same verb is used of Elijah in 1 Kings. When the fiery chariot comes by, grabs Elijah and takes him up. God has been catching up people. He caught Philip up in the book of Acts and took him from one spot and threw him somewhere else. It was like one day he was, one second he's there and another second he's over some other part of the world. God did that. Paul was caught up to the third heaven. The two witnesses in Revelation will be caught up one day. God has shown, I can do this. And so one day he's going to catch up a whole generation of Christians at one time and literally draw them to himself. Turn with me real quick to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 5. Gives us a little bit more insight about Enoch, because there's not a lot said about him other than he walked with God, but to me, that pretty much says it all. If, if someone was to say, what would you want to summarize your life? 
Why not say he walked with God or she walked with God? That, that would be a really good thing. So in Hebrews 11, verse 5, it says, By faith Enoch was taken up so that he did not see death, and he was not to be found because God took him up. Same thing that it says in Genesis. But notice, what is the foundation of Enoch's walk with God? Verse 5, faith. What is faith? Positively responding to what God is revealing. So let's take a few steps back and run into that. First of all, that means I've got to be hearing and listening for God's voice, and I've got to be interested in what God is revealing to me. That's where it starts, which means I've got to be spending time with God so that he can be revealing things to me, and so I can get used to hearing his voice. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. Starts with revelation. That's what makes faith different than belief. That's why it says the demons believe in God and tremble. Belief and faith are different. Belief is not a response to God's revelation. A belief is just understanding, oh, yeah, that is. They believe in God, obviously. But they're not responding positively to what God is revealing. They're not obedient. They're not following. Faith is putting my trust and confidence in the God who's revealing things to me so that I follow after and I obey the things that he's revealing to me. And I'm positively responding. So remember, faith is always a positive response to God's revelation. So first, we've got to be interested in God revealing things. God reveal things to me, and then, God, I will respond in a positive way. And the more we do that, obviously, too, the closer and closer we get. And here's why. Because God himself said, I'll continue to reveal more as I see that you respond positively, which is why he said, I, I share secrets and things with my friends that I don't necessarily share with everybody. Because I know, like with Abraham, that Abraham will respond positively. And so I'm calling Abraham my friend, a friend of God. See. Now notice this, verse 5. For before his removal, though, before God took him, he had been commended as having pleased God. Who commended him? God. In fact, you see this even in verse 4 about Abel. God commended Abel for his offerings. What's it mean? It means somehow, we don't know exactly how, God publicly acknowledged or affirmed Enoch so that when he took him, it was like, wow, okay. Uh, maybe I need to follow Enoch. Enoch, in a sense, then was a witness or testimony to God because God clearly affirmed who Enoch was. In a sense, God was saying to, Enoch, to the people around Enoch, well done, Enoch, well done. Similar to the well done, good and faithful servant. Somehow God had communicated to the people around Enoch that he, God, was pleased with Enoch, which made his disappearance even that more powerful. And that's why then in the context, notice the very next verse. It's just talked about Enoch and his faith and being commended. And then it says this, very famous verse, 
Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For the one who approaches God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Two things that Enoch did. First of all, he believed that he existed. By the way, this word exists literally means I am. So hang in there with me. God is saying, here's what I need you to believe. I need you to believe that I am the great I am. Not just that I am, but I'm the great I am. You see, the one from whom all things do find their existence and their source. And I reward those who seek, who pursue me. By the way, this word seek is an act of worship. Because you and I pursue things that are of great value and worth to us, right? So in my worship of God, my worship is seen in pursuing him more and more and wanting more and more of him because that says to him and to others, God, I hold you as of great value and worth. Therefore, instead of pursuing all these other things, I'm going to pursue you. So we get a little bit of insight into Enoch and his love for God and the fact that he responded positively to God and pursued God and believed that he was the great I am, that nothing was impossible for him or too hard for him, and that he walked with God. Well, back to Genesis 5, one more tonight. Beginning in verse 28, the hope God extends through mankind. Oh, by the way, let me say this. I failed to say this. I think this is important. Methuselah died in the same year as the flood. Even though he lived 969 years, God sort of allowed him to die before the flood came. And remember, he was the son of Enoch. The other thing that's interesting about Methuselah is his name. Sometimes in order to get the meaning, especially of Hebrew names, if you divide it up, you sort of get a little bit of a hint. Look at the last five letters of Methuselah's name. Does that, those last five letters ring a bell? Where do you see those last five letters of Methuselah's name? In the book of Psalms. Selah. S-E-L-A-H. What does Selah mean? Stop and think about it. <laughs> then if you look at the first four letters of Methuselah's name, meth, well, we hear that a lot. But in Hebrew, you know what the word meth means? Death. Death. Stop and think about it. And he died the year of the flood. Even in his name, I think that there was a clue as to this judgment that was coming because Noah had been was preaching all the time he was building the ark that God's going to bring judgment God's going to bring a flood he was a preacher of righteousness according to Peter and Noah couldn't get anybody else to go on the ark but his family but we come now to Noah verse 28 
When Lamech had lived 182 years, he had a son, and he named him Noah. The silence of this chapter is broken by the one who would bring rest, because Noah's name means rest. And notice that Lamech, Noah's father, has this premonition that his son isn't just anyone else, that there's, God has something special for him. Now, I realize as parents, we all think that about our kids, but there are certain, just like with Moses, it's like, no, God has his hand, though, on this one. And so even in naming him, his father sort of saw something in Noah that would come. Because he says, this one, Noah, will bring us comfort, consolation from our labor and from the painful toil of our hands because of the ground that the Lord has cursed. Noah is finally going to come and bring some kind of rest to the ground. Yeah. But the rest for the ground is going to come in a very unanticipated way. God's basically going to bring a worldwide flood to give the ground rest. I'm sure the human beings didn't see it coming that way. It's a reminder that God's ways are not our ways, and God has his own ways, and many times God does things different than we would think he would. But that was the way God brought rest. But it was through Noah and the birth of Noah and the, and the life of Noah gave people hope in the midst of what they were seeing all around them and this idea of a flood and judgment to come. And then finally, at the end of verse 31, the entire lifetime of Lamech was 777 years and he died. And Noah was 500 years old when he became a father. Wow. But I will say this. This actually gives us a clue as to how long Noah was building an ark. Because if you look over at chapter 7, verse 6, Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters engulfed the earth. So somewhere around 100 years or less, Noah, after he had his son, started to build the ark from 500 years old to the time he got on the ark when he was 600 years old. But when Noah came, Noah came bringing hope that there would be a way that God would supply through what was coming. Now, obviously, our ultimate hope is Jesus Christ, and Noah sort of is a type of Christ here, the one who holds out hope in the midst of all that's going on around. And that's what I want us to end with tonight. how important it is that we hold on to our hope and that we cling to our hope. Because so often, even in this world, we're living in, in such a time that, that the clouds, if you will, of life and what's going on can darken the glory of our God and, and where our hope needs to be set. And, and we start to get separated from that hope by allowing the things of life and, and, and what's going on in the world and all of that to, to dampen and darken our hope. 
And God wants to revive our hope, but not in anything now, but in what's to come. So I'd like to end tonight by going over to 1 Peter. Look at chapter 1, verse 13. Peter says, Therefore, get your minds ready for action by being fully sober or alert. And here's the phrase, very important phrase for us as Christians. Set. Fix. Set your hope, not partially, completely, on the grace that will be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Note something there, my brothers and sisters in Christ. Our hope is not to be set on anything here and now. Nothing on earth, nothing of earth, nothing now. Our hope, the best is yet to come, and it is, has got to be set ahead in time when God comes. And that grace that he brings when he comes at the revelation of Jesus Christ, that's where our hope has to be fixed and set and not move from that. It cannot, our hope cannot get caught up in anything now. And that's where the struggle is, because so often, even as Christians, we get our hopes up, if you will, because we see this and that going on on earth and all this, and God's saying, no, my child, don't do that. That's just going to end up disappointing you. That's just going to end up being a dark cloud that covers where your real hope lies. Your real hope is anchored in the future at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And do not let the things of earth and what's going on now and even in your life now dampen your hope. Set your hope completely on the grace that will be revealed at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's where our hope needs to stay. Because then it won't be ever disappointed. You see. Don't put your hope in anything now. God says no. Set your hope completely on what's ahead. And so... I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't know what you're struggling with and all of that. And that's not to minimize what you are going through right now at all. It's real. It's like we talked about with Job. It it can be terribly difficult in a struggle. But don't put your ultimate hope in the here and now. Be reminded every day as you walk with God and as you get more and more familiar and close to Him that the best is always coming for us and that we can't allow our earthly lives to diminish that hope for us as God's people. That's got to be set in the future. And that's the story of Noah. 
that it's not even about the here and now. It's about the hope that God ultimately wanted to bring one day through his son, Jesus Christ, that he was going to be our ark of safety. And that if we entered into him, we then have all the hope we will ever need because we can always look ahead and look past the days that we live in that are full of trial and tribulation and pain and suffering and go, but the better days are coming of glory and eternity. That's where I've got to keep my hope. Let's bow in prayer. Father God, we thank you tonight that you have reminded us, God, of where our hope needs to be. And God, I pray tonight that we would also just desire, Lord, to be like Enoch and walk with you every day. To just live in constant connection and conversation with you, God, so that we just become closer and closer to you. Help us to just get up every day and say, God, let me walk with you today. Let me take you by the hand and let's just walk through this day together. God, I just pray tonight that, Lord, you'll draw us all to yourself. Maybe not like Enoch, where you literally took him from the earth and took him to you up in heaven. But Lord, you can also wrap your arms around us and draw us into you. And we can feel your presence and we can feel your closeness even with us here tonight. And we thank you for that, God. And we pray, God, that that would continue, that we would continue to pursue and have that desire to just get closer and closer. Thank you for being a God that wants to be so close to us. And Lord, I just pray tonight that you would just continue to strengthen us, Lord, during these difficult days that we live in. And that, Lord, we would be able to rise above the challenges and to be your people who represent you well and who resemble you, who take on the responsibility of being leaders in this world. Thank you, God, for this precious time we've had together tonight. Take us home safely and give us a good rest of the week that you might draw us back together again on Sunday. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next week.